Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, so what I want to talk about today is what the culture of God's kingdom actually looks like. We've talked about exploring God's kingdom for seven or eight weeks. We took a little break. We're going to take a break for Outrageous Christmas, and then we'll, we're going to plow right back into uh, aspects of the kingdom in January. I've shared this verse many times before. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, this is what Jesus focused on in his ministry. He sent his disciples out to do these very things. He says, go out and preach this message. The kingdom of God is near. Some translations say the kingdom of God is at hand. That includes repentance, right? So you're repenting, you're changing the way you think. Then he tells them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. So what we want to do as a church is actually celebrate the things that Jesus celebrated until it becomes our culture and then continue, of course, to celebrate it. So when we look at that, we see repentance, we see salvation, we see healing, we see deliverance. Obviously, he calls us to to care for the poor and the needy and so on. But before Jesus ever sent his disciples, and before Jesus himself ever went into ministry, what did he go through a season of? Does anybody know? Preparation, which was? Fasting. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, I want you to see the significance of this. Because a lot of times, and a lot through this kingdom series, we talked about us going beyond the walls. We talked about us serving. We talked about us sharing our faith. We talked about us having authority. We talked about uh, you know, what God has given us in our identity. But before Jesus ever preached his first message about the kingdom of God, before he ever taught us what his culture looks like, he was led by the Spirit. It says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, I'm reading out a New Living Translation, It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. I want you to look at that last phrase too. He became very hungry. Because a lot of times we say, well, Jesus was God, so he could like do this, right? It was easy. He just gave up food for 40 days, stay connected to the Lord. No, it actually says your Savior was very hungry by the time he did not eat at the end of these 40 days. I want you to see that the Lord, uh, that the Holy Spirit actually led Jesus out to be tempted, but the, the, the primary purpose wasn't to be tempted. It was a spiritual preparation of him fasting, of him being absolutely tuned in with the Lord. And even if you look in Luke chapter four, I'm not gonna turn there, but at the beginning of Luke chapter four, it says that the Holy Spirit led him to be tempted. It says that he was full of the Holy Spirit because we see what happened right before he went to the, uh, to the, de- to the wilderness. Somebody help me out. What, what, what happened to Jesus right before he went into the wilderness? He was baptized. So what happened there was, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So Jesus goes out into the wilderness. It says full of the Holy Spirit. But if you look several verses down in Luke chapter four, when he's coming out of the wilderness, it says that he's full of the Holy Spirit's power. So there's a difference here. He's full of the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment when he's water baptized. He didn't need born again because he was born already of the Spirit of God. But he's filled with the Holy Spirit at water baptism. He goes out and over those 40 days, he is prepared for ministry where it says then he comes out of the wilderness filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So before, uh, we, I know we've talked a lot about the kingdom, but what I want to show you here, and this is the reason why we're going to go into a fast, is that there's actually a culture inside of us that needs to be established before we can ever demonstrate it on the outside. So to do that, we're going to kick off a fast uh, in 2018. If you want to write these dates down, January 7th to the 27th. And we're going to, we, we've done the last two day, the last two years, we've done uh, five days committed to the Lord where we wanted people who've never fasted before to jump in and to fast for the first time. And we've heard many of you have fasted. In fact, if you'd like to share your story with us, if you fasted for the first time or you've seen significant breakthrough over these last two years, if you can contact uh, the church, we'd love to be able to hear your story and help tell that story leading up to this fast. But what we've decided to do this year is to take 21 days. We're not asking every single person uh, to do that. I myself are going to do a, a full fast over those 21 days, meaning liquids only. We, we've asked the pastoral team, the elders to commit uh, to participating in 21 days of fasting, however the Lord's leading them to do it. We feel like not just you know, five days of 21 days is going to take us to a new level, but as we say, Lord, take us, like Dale said today, to a new level, we feel like the Lord's going to do that. So don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying, hey, if you've done five, you have to do 10, you have to do 14, you have to do 21, or you're not going to be a spiritual. No, you go to the Lord, you hear his voice, and you say, over these 21 days, Lord, how should I fast? What fasting is, is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Even if you look in the Greek and the Hebrew, the original uh, meanings of those words means voluntary abstinence of food. So what you're doing is you're dying to your flesh so that your spirit can be in charge once again. How many of you know that when you're hungry, your flesh starts talking very loud, right? Like even an, after hour, even an hour after you, you ate your Thanksgiving dinner, you're hungry for that dessert. You see it over there like, I need that pie. What we want to do is kill our flesh, not in like in totality here. We want to kill the desires of our flesh so that our spirit is once again in charge through the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what fasting is. It's not a hunger strike. You're not just starving yourself. You're saying, I'm foregoing food to actually get rid of these, these, these fleshly desires so that the, the desires of what the Spirit of God has for me is the loudest voice in my life. There's no better way to start your year than hearing the voice of the Lord clearly, cleansing yourself of those desires, and then stepping into what the Lord has for us as a church and then as an individual for 2018. So I want you to begin praying about that. I know during this festive time, it's really hard to hear about fasting, but I want you to begin praying, asking the Lord how uh, he would want you to participate in that. So when we look at uh, culture being established, I just want to go over a few points here. We talked several weeks back about uh, how in a kingdom or in a nation, for generations and generations, a culture is established through war or through warfare where the stronger kingdom conquers a weaker kingdom, where that castle or that capital building gets taken over, and people are sent into the, the nation that was dominated. Uh, and actually, a military term used in the Bible is the word apostle, where apostles would come in from, from the, the kingdom that won, and they would begin to establish all of the cultural norms in this territory that they took over until the land that was conquered looks like, feels like, smells like, acts like, celebrates like the conquering territory or nation. Now that can't just happen in our celebrations. It can't just happen in our laws. They're doing it until it gets fully ingested into people's lives. Or guess what happens when that kingdom leaves? They go back to their normal way of living. 
So what they did is they would stay, these conquering nations would stay long enough until the routine of people's lives and their lifestyles were set as is in that other nation. And I believe that's what the kingdom of God is like, is, is it is meant to get grafted into our very beings before we go out and demonstrate it to other people. That the love of God, the grace of God, the purity of God, the character of God, that all of those things are actually a culture inside of us before people see it outside of us. In Luke chapter six, it says this, in verse 45, it says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. But it says, for out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. I don't believe that just includes our words, but that's our actions, our activities, and our lifestyle. Are you guys seeing what's happening in this verse? The things that are in our heart are going to come out in our actions and in our behavior. They're going to come out in our words. You can only fake it for so long. So what this verse is saying is God wants these things grafted into our hearts so we're not walking around as hypocrites. We're not walking around faking what we should be doing as Christians. You know, a lot of times we do. I'll camp out on these verses about Jesus saying, preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead. And we'll talk about these things uh, about preaching and praying and healing. But I, I believe that what Jesus was even sharing, which we're gonna go over in just a few minutes here, was that once it's in our heart, once it's a part of who we are, we'll be able to demonstrate it naturally. And even like the things like we were talking about fear today, we're not gonna have to second guess, well, should I do this or should I do this? It's gonna be a natural overflow of who you already are. So I believe the Lord wants us to have character before charisma. I believe he wants us to have purity before power. I believe he wants us to have devotion before promotion. I believe he wants us to have wholeness before healing. I believe he wants us to have generosity before prosperity. And I believe he wants us to have repentance before revival. I'm not saying he doesn't want us to have charisma, power, promotion, healing, prosperity, and revival. Don't hear me wrong. I just believe we need to set our internal, uh, our, our internal thermometer correctly first, or a thermostat inside of us of what he's doing in our life. So if you look at what makes up just a normal culture in a normal land, it's basically the norms and the social behavior. I wanna read through some of these. I'm gonna show you how I believe Jesus taught on it. First, there's shared values. Each nation, country, or kingdom has shared values, right? A value simply, it's a conviction that's considered worthy by a person or a group of people to do. Secondly, we have symbols. These symbols represent what that nation aspires to be, what that kingdom aspires to be. So the mo most recognizable one is usually the flag or national anthem. Some uh, kingdoms have shields or crests. Some are known by their capital building or city. <clears throat> Another component is the law. This helps us keep, keeps us safe and secure. Another area of, that makes up culture is the relationships. There's standards for relationships, how we relate to one another. It's when you look at a nation or a kingdom, what is their view of marriage, divorce, homosexuality, sanctity of life, and so on. Another area is moral code. This is both written and unwritten. Every, every culture has a moral code. It's talking about ethics, integrity, honesty, caring for the poor, all of those things. Another area of culture is our priorities. So what are the priorities of this culture? This might include things that that culture worships, politics. It can also include sports entertainment. Another area is social norms. 
So this is like the driving force behind speech and thought patterns, behavior. What are the social norms of, of a culture? A few more left. Another one is language of that country. How are they actually going to communicate back and forth? Uh, another one is constitution. This is the agreement between the nation, the government, and the people. There's the customs. What is the customary way of doing life? And then there's other things like food and dress that we're not gonna, going to address today. As I was reading through uh, the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and I was thinking about what makes up a culture, if you want to turn your, your Bibles, if you don't have your Bible, I'm using, using uh, the Pew Bible. It's a New Living Translation. I started at chapter four. So we see the temptation where Jesus fasted. And then I started reading through um, in 4 verse 12, and I'm, I'm going to just skim over these verses for the sake of time. I just kind of want to run you through some of these things. I read, when Jesus came back from temptation, it says in verse 12, he realized that, or he heard John was, in, uh, was arrested, so he returns to Galilee. And then in verse 17, he starts to preach, repent, turn from your sins, for the kingdom of God is near. So Jesus starts to preach on the kingdom right after water baptism, right into 40 days of fasting, praying, resisting the enemy. He comes back and goes right into preaching. So the first thing he starts to preach on is to repent, turn from your sins. The kingdom of God is here, is now. He calls his disciples and down in 23, you see a demonstration where it says he heals all kinds of illnesses, diseases, those who were tormented by the devil, okay? So this is like Jesus showing up on this scene. He's prepared, he's completely fasting. He comes back, he preaches, he asks people to follow him. Then he demonstrates the kingdom. So he preaches the kingdom and then demonstrates it with signs, wonders, and miracles. And then starting at verse uh, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, I always saw this as what? The Sermon on the Mount. This is like a really good sermon. This is how to be a good person. This is how to have good values. And as I was reading through these things, the Lord told me, this is Jesus teaching his people on the culture of the kingdom. This is not just how to be a nice person, how to be a good Christian, how to help an old lady across the street. This is actually the culture of of his kingdom that he wants inside of every single one of us before we go out and then share that gospel. Now, I'm not saying to wait until you're perfect because we're never gonna be there. Are, are you following me? I'm saying there's a priority that needs to be placed in hearing what Jesus has to say. These aren't just life lessons. It's not just, turn, we're not gonna turn it into a nice PowerPoint. This is his very first extended sermon teaching the people, those who are following, what culture in his kingdom looks like when Jesus is your king. So we're going to go through the same areas of culture of how Jesus uh, is teaching the people. Starting at verse 3, we have what we know as the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who, blessed are those who, blessed are those who, there's promises following. These things are his values. These are the values of the kingdom. So we, the value should be being poor in spirit. The New Living Translation just says poor. Most other translations say poor in spirit. It's our hunger and our emptiness uh, without him and our hunger for him. It should be a value to be humble in verse five. In verse six, that there's a hunger and a thirst for him. That should be a value in our lives. To be merciful in verse seven. To be pure in heart in verse eight. To work for peace in verse nine. To even, even a value that when we're persecuted, we know that the kingdom of heaven is being received by us. So all of these verses, three through 10, are actual values in his kingdom. And then I started reading down to verse 13 and 14. 
These are symbols in his kingdom, right? Instead of having a flag hanging, instead of having a capital city, he actually says, no, you're, you're the symbols of the kingdom. Did you know that? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you are actually his symbols of the culture of the kingdom. So what are the symbols? He calls us salt of the earth, right? And then in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. So he's saying, when you start with these values, then you realize you are here to not just preserve the earth, but make it tasteful again when people enter into the kingdom. To be a light that's not hidden under a bushel, not under a basket, but to be a light, to be that symbol. When people say, what does God look like? What does Jesus' love look like? How is this demonstrated? Oh, I see him. I see her. I see that family. Now I know what this invisible God looks like because of these people who are demonstrating the love of God to me in everyday life. Does this make sense? So we are to be symbols as we operate in him for the kingdom of God. In verses 17 through 20, he starts to teach about the law. What did we say? The law is a part of every culture. Every nation has law. So he's actually teaching about the law there. Even in verse 19 here, he says, if you ignore the least commandments and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. Now follow this. He says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is all about kingdom, folks. So how is our, righteous, how is our righteousness greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Now think about this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law got their righteousness by following the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. When we surrender our hearts to Jesus, we come into Jesus, we're united with Jesus, and now the law is fulfilled through Christ. So our righteousness is greater than those who taught the law and the Pharisees because we're righteous because of Christ. Does that make sense to you guys? Of how your righteousness is greater than someone trying to do all the right things. We're doing the right things because we're following the right God. We're not looking at something that's printed and saying, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. No, I have to follow him, and then out of that comes following what the Lord's will is for your life. We talked about another aspect of, the, of a culture of a nation being relationships. Look at verse 21 all the way through 48. I'm not going to read all these, but if you go back and read these, he's teaching you how to interact with other people in the kingdom of God. It's not just be nice to each other. It's actually teaching us how to do relationships in his kingdom. So it talks about anger. Verse 25, it says, if you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. These are very practical things, but he's saying this is how you do relationships. Talks about adultery in verse 27. Talks about divorce in verse 31 and 32. It talks about uh, vows starting at verse 33. He's saying, listen, don't say, uh, I vow this, I vow that, I swear by this, I swear by that. He's saying, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. I mean, he's, ta- he's teaching us about all these things here. He's talking about revenge in verse 38, 39. Even it says here, but I say, it says in verse 38, you've heard it say the law punishes by, must match the injury, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. This is not a statement of weakness. This is a statement of when somebody treats you wrong, respond to them as, you, as somebody would in the kingdom of heaven. Respond in love. I'm not saying if somebody's beating you, you just say, okay, please beat me here. 
He's not saying to be weak. He's just saying respond in such a way that will take them back and say, wait a minute, you must be from a different culture. You don't act like everybody else acts. So this is on relationships in the kingdom. It goes in verse 43. You've, you, uh, you have heard, the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. How many of you know this is about relationships? Love your enemy. Pray for those who basically hate you, who want to hurt you. So this, these are things that have to happen in our hearts and in our own lives first. We can tell everybody else about the love of God and we can try to show things, but if it's not in our heart, if it's not in our own lifestyle first, we will break down eventually. You can only fake it for so long. Starting in chapter six, we say, hey, we're just continuing on with the Sermon on the Mount. This is culture of his kingdom. The, this is our moral code. If you look at verse one through 24, this is basically our moral code. This is how we have ethics, integrity, caring for the poor. So again, I'm not going to read a lot of verses here, but he, start, he starts off by giving to the needy. Don't let your good deeds go, uh, go publicly. It says to be uh, admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 31, or verse 3. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then he talks about prayer and fasting. He talks about when you're praying by yourself, go into your closet don't let other people know. Don't babble on and on and on. Tell the Lord what you need. He already knows. Share your heart with him anyway, right? It's, it's releasing your heart to him. He also talks about fasting. This is not saying that you can't have a, a public fast. This is saying in your own personal life, fast regularly. And when you do it, don't walk into work all disheveled and, oh, I'm just fasting. I'm so hungry. I'm going to go to the lunchroom and be sad and make everybody depressed around me. No, He's saying, put some oil on your head. Walk in confidence, still smile, be in a good mood. I've learned it the hard way. Drink enough water or you will be cranky. I won't look at my wife while I'm saying that. So you have to drink a lot of water and be happy. But he's saying when you're doing this, buy yourself fast, right? But publicly, corporately, we're gonna fast at the beginning of January. It goes on, I believe, uh, when the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer, I believe this is an anthem that he's given us in the culture of the kingdom. It goes on uh, talking about fasting. It goes on about money and possessions. And then down at verse uh, 25, I believe that this is the priorities of the kingdom of God. He's saying, listen, stop worrying about what everybody else in today's culture worries about. I mean, if you know, they worried about money, clothing, and their house back then too. What are we still worried about? Money, clothing, and our house. And he's saying, the culture around you worries about that stuff. In my kingdom, the way, way my kingdom works, you're not supposed to worry about those things. So he talks about how God cares for them and how he's going to provide for them. And in verse 33 is the priority of his kingdom. Seek first what? His kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Again, this is the New Living Translation, a little different than some of you have learned. So these are the priorities of the kingdom. Going on into chapter 7, I believe are the social norms of the kingdom of God, what our speech and our thoughts and our attitude should be like. So it opens up in chapter 7 about not judging others. It goes on talking about worrying about the speck in somebody else's eye, but not the plank in your own eye. And then I believe it goes down into, even in verse 12, the social norm of the kingdom, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
It's a social norm that should be implemented in everybody's life. I believe verses seven and nine in chapter seven is the language of the kingdom. What's the language of the kingdom of God? Just look at these verses. It's all done in love, but he's teaching you how to pray. Look at, that, look at the verses. Keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. It's our language to the heavenly father in his kingdom. I believe verse 13 through 23 is the constitution of the kingdom. He's establishing his agreement with his government and us as people. So how do we get into this kingdom? It says here, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gates are wide for the many who choose that. But the gateway of life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. So he continues to talk about watching out for the false prophets. And then he says, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And he says, you'll be able to tell the person by his fruit. So what he's saying is, you'll be able to get in through the narrow gate. When it's talking about difficulty, it's not difficult because it's hard to find. It's difficult because you have to end your own selfish way of life. It's difficult for people because you have to die to yourself. You have to die to your old sinful nature and your selfish ways. And you come in only through Jesus Christ. But once you're in, people will be able to tell that you're in his culture because of your fruit. You become a good tree, so you bear good fruit. You guys with me? Last one. The customs of the kingdom, I believe, are found in verses 24 through 29. So what's the custom? What's the standard way of living? What's he say here? Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. This is a standard. Like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. This is the base standard of living in the kingdom is build your house on Christ. He's the solid rock on which I stand. He says, though the rain comes in, and torrent, uh, in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But he also talks about customs that are outside of his kingdom. He says, if anyone hears my teaching and does not obey it, it's foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. Adam, you can come up at this time. I'll close here. It says, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Then it says here, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Now, if you follow eight, nine, 10, you start to see here, what, what does he do? He starts demonstrating the kingdom again. He heals a man with leprosy. He heals many people. He heals a paralyzed man. And by the time we're at chapter 10, he sends out his disciples to do the very thing he's doing. They would not know what to preach on if he didn't first preach to them what the kingdom of God looked like. I will never see the Sermon on the Mount the same way again. I always look, these are really good points to be a really good person, really good Christian. This is the culture that he wants in every single one of our lives so we can be the salt of the world, we can be a light on the hill for people to look at us. What I wanna do is just spend just a few moments just at our seats and I just want you, even if you need to flip through chapter five, six, and seven again, I want the Holy Spirit to be able to just to speak to you because I want to go into this fast in January 
Uh, I want to go into it with confidence and with boldness, with momentum. So I want to, before we even leave here today, we're going to take just a few minutes. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit. Look, look up at me real quick. This is not to lead to guilt and condemnation because you can go out of here feeling like a piece of dirt and that's not, that's not what I want. I want the Lord, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in Jesus' teaching in chapter five, six, and seven that is not in my heart right now? It's not a part of my internal culture, okay? If he's revealing those things to you, there are notes, notes in, the, uh, in the pews. I just want you to write some of those things down and I want you to, in your own time, when you're praying to the Lord, oh, and even, even now today, I want you just to ask the Lord to begin to take away any roadblocks. And I want you to ask him to begin to impart these things into your life. That as we go into this fast in the new year, we're, these things are gonna be dealt with and we're gonna move to a higher level, to a deeper level, to a further level than he's ever had. So it's a very simple question. Holy Spirit, will you show me any area that Jesus taught on in Matthew 5, 6, or 7 that is not a culture in my heart already. If he's identifying those things, you don't feel guilty, don't feel condemned, just ask the Lord, Father, thank you for revealing them. I ask you now to impart them into my life. Remove any roadblocks and impart them. Let's just take a few moments at this time to ask him. I'm sure some of you are still working through things and that's why we have a relationship with Jesus seven days a week and not just these 90 minutes uh, within church. What I want you to do is just take, take the list that you have uh, so far if you decided to write things. I just want you to stand uh, at this time and I just want you to hold the paper. So what I want you to realize is this list is not a to-do list. This list is not a, now let's try really hard to be really good Christians and we're gonna try to get better at these things. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I have things written down, you have things written down. Now there's a roadblock, there's a reason why these things are not in your heart right now, yet. There's a reason why these things aren't a part of the culture of who you are. So ask the Lord, what is stopping this from happening in my life? When he tells it to you, you're not going to try really hard to get over it. You're going to surrender it to him. There's a big difference between going out of here and, now this is, this is my try really hard list. No, that's not what I'm saying. Ask the Lord, what has stopped me from this being rooted in my life? What he shares with you. Father, I surrender that in Jesus' name. I give that over to you. I ask that you will heal me of those things so that the result will be the fruit of the culture of his kingdom. You guys with me? We're not walking out of here just gonna try. We're gonna try. We have a checklist now. No, this is a list that's gonna lead to surrender. It's gonna lead to repentance and it's gonna lead to the Lord continuing to graft things in our hearts. Let's just hold the list here close to hearts. Father, we just come to you now in prayer. And Father, we see your kingdom as a perfect kingdom. We see your kingdom as one of love and joy and peace. We see uh, your kingdom as one of strength and purity and boldness. And Father, we know that we are symbols of your kingdom. It's not just the necklace that we wear around our neck, but it stands for something much greater that you're willing to work through broken vessels such as us here in this room today. So Father, we wanna be 
true salt. We want to be a true light in the world, but we want to get this right in our own heart first. Father, I pray that you would allow us to have true repentance, God, that you would show us areas in our life that are just standing in the way. You'd show us roadblocks that the devil's trying to put into our lives, that you would show us lies that we've believed over years. Father, that we would begin to agree with the truth, that we would just simply demolish the roadblock by using the authority that you have given us by praying in the name of Jesus and that even before Christmas, even before tonight at midnight, that we'd start to see fruit in these areas, that we would see real life change and that God going into 2018, we would closely match the culture of God's kingdom like never before. Father, we trust that your Holy Spirit will be speaking loudly and clearly to every single person in this room. We ask for your blessing and your favor upon our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.